welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Shooter, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 83, Preventing Dementia, Part 1. My article and podcast episode from a couple of weeks back about the gut-brain connection in Alzheimer's disease and the protective role that fibre could play in this dreaded condition sparked some lively discussion and some excellent questions in the comment section of that Substack article. Given that dementia, including Alzheimer's disease, is now the second leading cause of death in Australia and the leading cause of death for women, the lives of all my readers are going to be touched by it in some way at some time. I figured it's high time then to survey some other relatively recent studies on the prevention and early treatment of dementia. To help you develop your own dementia prevention plan, I'm dividing the research findings into do's and don'ts. Part 1 will cover the don'ts, just to get the negative stuff dealt with first, and Part 2 will do the do's, but not like Betty Boo. Let's launch into the don't list. Number 1. Don't use combined hormone replacement therapy or HRT pills and patches. A long-term follow-up study of Danish women has found that any use of menopausal estrogen progestin therapy increased the risk of dementia, all types of dementia combined, by nearly one quarter with longer duration of use associated with greater risk. The study used national registries which essentially covered the entire Danish population. From these registries, the researchers identified all women aged between 50 and 60 on the 1st of January in the year 2000 who had no history of dementia, breast cancer, gynecological cancers, thrombosis, liver disease, thrombophilia, bilateral oophorectomy, surgical removal of the ovaries, or hysterectomy, surgical removal of the uterus. Then they identified women who were diagnosed with any form of dementia between the 1st of January 2000 and the 31st of December 2018 by scanning the National Registry of Patients for diagnostic codes pertaining to the various subtypes of dementia and the National Prescription Registry for dementia-specific drug prescriptions. Each dementia patient was matched with 10 female controls of the same age who did not have a dementia diagnosis. And finally, they searched the National Prescription Registry for menopausal hormone prescriptions for both dementia patients and matched controls. Here's what their analysis of these data revealed. Women who had ever used menopausal estrogen progestin treatment were 24% more likely to develop dementia, that's all types combined, than women who had never used menopausal estrogen progestin therapy or had only ever used systemic or vaginal estrogen-only treatment or perimenopausal progestin-only therapy. Women who had ever used menopausal estrogen progestin treatment were 21% more likely to be diagnosed with late-onset dementia and 22% more likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease than never users or users of estrogen-only or progestin-only therapy. The risk of all-cause dementia increased with longer durations of use, ranging from 21% higher risk for one year or less of use to 74% higher risk for more than 12 years of use. And there was no significant difference in risk for continuous versus cyclic regimens of menopausal estrogen progestin therapy. I've reproduced a couple of the figures from this particular study in the post accompanying this podcast episode that represent the data in graphical form. 
because, as always, a picture speaks a thousand words. Combining their analysis to women who only received combined menopausal hormonal therapy at age 55 years or younger did not abolish the association with an increased rate of all-cause dementia. No statistically significant association was found for either progestin-only therapy or vaginal estrogen-only treatment for either all-cause dementia, late-onset dementia, or Alzheimer's disease. The authors compared their findings with those of other published studies, noting that the Women's Health Initiative Memory Study reported an increased risk of dementia in postmenopausal women treated with estrogen and progestin after one year of use, while brain MRI scans of a subset of that trial population showed an association between menopausal hormone therapy and brain atrophy, which is the hallmark of cognitive decline and dementia. On the other hand, Studies which have concluded that menopausal hormone therapy protects against dementia suffer from classification errors which call their findings into question. The authors conclude that even brief use of estrogen progestin hormone therapy in women in the early phase of their menopausal transition, and that's the pattern of usage currently advocated in clinical practice guidelines, including the one issued by the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, increases the risk of developing the leading cause of death in Australian women. Just a side note, before I read the study author's statement, that Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists that's the very same group that states that, quote, pregnant women are a priority group for COVID-19 vaccination and should be routinely offered Pfizer mRNA vaccine, that's community, or Moderna, Spikevax, at any stage of pregnancy, end quote. So you might want to take all their recommendations with a giant handful of salt. Okay, back to that dementia study. Quote, exposure to menopausal hormone therapy was positively associated with development of all-cause dementia and Alzheimer's disease, even for short-term usage around the age of menopause onset, end quote. Now, the action step for point number one is this. If you're a woman approaching the age of menopause or already undergoing a menopausal transition, commit to diet and lifestyle changes that reduce your risk of suffering bothersome vasomotor symptoms, that's hot flushes or flashes for our American readers, and night sweats, and the other distressing symptoms of menopause so that you don't need to resort to HRT for relief. Luckily for you, the same strength training that reduces the risk of dementia that's a teaser, we'll be discussing this further in part two, also reduces the risk of vasomotor symptoms. Achieving weight loss by increasing your intake of fruits, vegetables and whole grains also reduces hot flushes and night sweats. And women who eat an entirely plant-based diet have an easier transition through menopause, reporting less bothersome vasomotor and physical menopausal symptoms than omnivores. As usual, the references for all of these statements are in the post accompanying this podcast episode. Point number two in the don't list is don't overdo the coffee. A study drawing on UK Biobank, which is a large-scale biomedical database and research resource containing in-depth genetic and health information from half a million UK participants, found that participants who drank more than six cups of coffee a day had a 53% increased risk of dementia compared to those who drank one to two cups per day. In addition, there was a linear inverse association between coffee consumption and total brain volume measured by magnetic resonance imaging or MRI, as well as grey matter, white matter and hippocampal volumes. In other words, the more cups of coffee per day, the smaller the brain. Non-coffee drinkers and drinkers of decaffeinated coffee had slightly higher odds of dementia than those who drank one to two cups of coffee a day. 
And once again, I've reproduced a figure from this study in the post accompanying this podcast episode so that you can see all of this in pictorial form. The researchers listed several mechanisms via which high coffee consumption could decrease brain volume and increase dementia risk, including competitive binding of caffeine to adenosine receptors in the brain. These adenosine receptors are involved in the control of circadian rhythms, sleep homeostasis, and some neuroimmunological mechanisms. And high coffee consumption also has adverse effects on blood lipids. So the action step for point number two is, if you're routinely consuming more than six cups of coffee per day, you need to cut down, pronto. Green tea, black tea and herbal teas make good substitutes if you're after a hot beverage, but good old water, filtered of course to remove the neurotoxic fluoride, should be your primary beverage. And point number three in the don't list is, don't be a lazy bones, especially as you get older. In a study of 1,646 older adults from the Canadian Study of Health and Aging who were dementia-free at baseline, people who did not have the APOE4 gene variant, a variant which substantially increases the risk of cognitive decline in dementia, were almost twice as likely to develop dementia over the five-year follow-up period if they did not exercise, compared to regular exercises. For this study, individuals aged 65 years and older were recruited from 36 urban and rural areas from all 10 Canadian provinces between 1991 and 92, and these participants underwent tests of cognitive function as well as assessment of physical activity levels. Five years later, surviving participants who were cognitively normal at baseline were reassessed and blood samples were taken for APOE genotyping. Among those who were not APOE4 carriers, that is, they were not at genetically increased risk of dementia, the odds of developing dementia were higher in non-exercisers than exercisers. The odds ratio, or OR, was 1.98. Now, odds ratio is the odds that an outcome, in this case dementia, will occur given a particular exposure. In this case, the exposure was a lack of exercise, compared to the odds of the outcome occurring in the absence of that exposure. The odds of developing dementia were significantly greater in APOE4 allele carriers than non-carriers. In that case, the odds ratio was 2.02. So both odds ratios roughly represent a doubling of risk. And as the authors noted, the degree of excess risk of dementia imposed by sedentariness was comparable to the risk from having the APOE4 gene variant. Unfortunately, exercise did not have a protective effect against the development of dementia in APOE4 carriers, at least in this study. You need a comprehensive diet and lifestyle dementia prevention plan, which is what we'll discuss in part two. Now, the action step for point number three is fairly obvious. Get off your rear end and move every day. All forms of physical activity are beneficial. The best form of exercise is the one that you will actually do on a regular basis. And in next week's post and podcast episode, we'll cover the do's for reducing the risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.